0: Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. I wish you would put your hands together and celebrate like over 300 people got baptized across the country that they said should be shut down. Come on, the spirit of the living God is moving. You better stick around for the 11 a.m. If you're watching online, you better double dip online. Come on, somebody know what I'm talking about? Man, my name is Pastor Mike Signorelli, and I have the privilege of Being the lead pastor of this church and all these wild people that are fully caffeinated, regenerated, redeemed, filled with the, not that we don't have the Holy Spirit at this church, we have the Holy Ghost. (laughs) Um, But I am just so excited to see what God's doing. You know, if you're watching right now from V1 Indiana and you're in a watch party, can you just shout it out for my man, Adam Witka, who's playing the bass today. Where's he? I don't know where he went. Um, but Adam Wicca, this is an incredible service already because what you felt in the anointing is not just the unity of this house locally anymore, but Adam was the very first person from Indiana, in V1 Church, Indiana's worship team to integrate and play with New York. And you felt a national worship team right now. Did you feel the level up? Turn to your neighbor and say, level up, level up. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) Are you guys ready for the word today? Now, if service felt a little different today, I'm not gonna apologize for experimenting. And uh, how many of you know that we're a church that takes risks? And we like to experiment and take risks. And you can rest assured, we'll figure out all of the stuff we're doing by the time fall comes around and your friends start coming back to church again. And we'll have it, we'll be super professional by the time they come back around and they'll think we were always that good, praise God. Now, how many people do I have here from our prayer team or our our deliverance team? Okay, we got a handful of people. You might be needed today. Um, I just want you better start repenting now. <laughs> you know, whenever God uses you on assignment, you always got to get yourself right first. You know, I stay saved by being your lead pastor. I'll, I'll put it like that. But I'm going to preach a message today. And in the summer, particularly July, I like to dive very deep into the word and I like to delve into scripture in a way that maybe in the fall where, when skeptics and people start to fill our doors, it's different and we deal with things theologically then but, but this summer has been devoted to the idea of becoming battle ready. And here's the thing, if you would have started this journey with us in the beginning of the summer, you are becoming so well equipped in so many essential areas. Is there anybody who can say my life as a disciple has been enriched by this process of becoming battle ready? Can you just wave at me or drop a comment right now and say, man, I'm being fed so well through this series. So the next two weeks, though, I want to welcome you into my living room and we are going to have a family talk for the next two weeks. And the thing is, this is not my stage. This is my living room. And we are going to have a family talk, and I'm going to talk about some things in the next two weeks that there's a high likelihood that these will be the most shared services that we've had. Now, I do want to say, having said that, last week, the the service about purpose and that message about purpose has already been viewed by over 100,000 people in the last seven days. And we are getting flooded in our inbox from people who are saying, my life is being changed. Matter of fact, V1 Latin America is going wild because we still offer Spanish translation. And our translators were messaging me saying, this message changed our lives. We could barely translate it last week. And I said, well, that's good because I'm coming down to the DR at the end of this month to see our V1 DR watch party in person. Dios te bendiga, hermanos. And um, and so there's a lot happening at V1 Church through the summer, but the the next two weeks are going to be one of those messages where your your f- people share them with people and say, "Yo, you got to listen to this. This is your marriage. This is your relationship. This is that church you came out of. This is that church that won't-. So here's what I want to start with. This is this old song. I don't know if we're in the right key right now, but it goes, um, "You're so vain." You probably think this song is about you. You're so vain. Okay, so here's the the hook. You're so vain. You probably think this sermon is about somebody else. Turn to your neighbor and say it's about you. It's about everybody in this section. It's about everybody in this section, this section, everybody online. You're so vain. (laughs) I'm talking about you. And if you're watching and you're like, are they talking about my ministry? Yes, I am. I'm talking about your church, your ministry, your pastor, your apostle, your prophet. I am talking about them. I'm talking about all y'all. Because the only way this, I haven't even made a point yet. You got, that's my proof that the New Yorkers just want me to be mean. I haven't even taught you the Bible yet. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, listen, don't get too excited. You're just in my living room right now. We're going to have a family talk. And this sermon is about you and it's about your mom. Yes. Yo mama. It's about your dad. It's about your cousin, your coworkers, your boss. It's about all of y'all. So I want to say that because I'm going to get DMs like crazy this week saying, wow, you really called out such and such ministry, didn't you? And my response is going to be, yes, I did. And the other ministry and the other one and your ministry and your mama's ministry, (laughs) are we all on the same page? Because every single time I try to touch these topics, people's childishness and their foolishness gets in the way of their freedom. So if you don't think I'm talking about you and you do this whole message like, oh, yeah, he really got him good. And you leave this place, the devil's going to be like, got him. <laughs> so let's make up our mind that this is about us. And it's and everybody else. I'm just going to hose him down. So the reason why I say that is because I'm going to deal with a ruling spirit, a demonic spirit. I've taught about it extensively, but I have not taught it in sermon format here at our own church. I've taught it on my broadcast, but I've got fresh revelation for you. And we're gonna talk about the four ways to identify a narcissist. Yeah. We're gonna talk about the four ways to identify a narcissist. And here's the thing. I am not a psychiatrist, nor do I have the right to legally diagnose anybody with narcissistic personality disorder. That is not the intention of my sermon. Are we on the same page? But I will say this in wisdom. There are narcissistic tendencies. There are narcissistic cultures. There are, come on, leadership cultures that have narcissistic, and I even want to say this. Sometimes you are mothered and fathered biologically and spiritually by people with narcissistic tendencies, and then you become narcissistic even if you don't have that culture in your own house. You have things that need to be rooted out of you. V1 Church is a rehabilitation center for people who lived under narcissists at other churches, and they're not narcissistic, the people who come to our house, but I even have to break narcissistic tendencies off of them because sometimes you can be so well accustomed to abuse that you act like your abuser and don't even realize it. So I wanna clear the air. We have pastors that need this message. We have connect group leaders that need this message. We have congregation members that need this message. Is everybody hearing me? Okay. And uh, it starts with me, to be honest with you. It starts with me. And in my 20s, I believe that I struggled because of father wounds with narcissism. As a matter of fact, I hurt a lot of people because I wanted it to be about me all the time. By the time I showed up to New York and started pastoring this church, there were many congregation members who were convinced that this was the healthiest church they ever attended, but they didn't realize that I was a reformed narcissist. I was a humbled, dare I say humiliated narcissist. That, and I believe that people can change. Does anybody else believe that? But oftentimes, the most wounded, delicately emotional people tend to mask that with narcissism and pride. And, and, you know, we find all these masks that we put on to cover up this scared little child that never received the attention and the affirmation that they needed. And that scared little child inside of us that never was given a chance to grow, that was never given a chance to receive proper boundaries for how to receive attention, Begins to put on the mask of pride, the mask of narcissism. And so, how can we be the church that takes off the mask? You know, I believe, and my wife and I were talking about this on the way here, that there is a a strong man of narcissism here on Long Island. Because here, when I deal with people politically, and if you're a politician watching this locally, just keep taking notes. I deal with this with the governmental systems, the school systems, I deal with this. Many of you have employers, and what happens is they were raised by parents on Long Island that loved them enough to give them a business, but abused them in the transaction. And there's this extreme pressure that's felt to be successful in this region in particular, and it creates these very insecure people. And they're so insecure that they're they're violated by anyone else's success. They're violated by anyone else's popularity and receiving attention. And you've created this environment here of rampant narcissism. How many of you believe that revival's on the other side of freedom from this, what we're talking about? Can you see how revivals have lived and died by a solo personality? Because even the devil will, re, will, uh, will allow a level of revival in your midst knowing that the narcissism in the pews will end up being its undoing. That's good. Can I take you on a journey through the word? Okay, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter three. Do you guys still love me? The next two weeks are gonna be like, I have to decide I still love my pastor. Because we're in the living room together, we're having a big family talk, and I've gotta get in on a surgical level to deal with this stuff, okay? Are you still with me? Second Timothy chapter three talks about the end times. Theologically, there is no specific uh, time that's mentioned within this verse, and so it's generally understood by most uh, theologians that the end times could have started as soon as Acts chapter two all the way till now, okay? But when I read the description of what the conditions are gonna be like in the earth, it becomes apparent that we are either in it or headed toward, towards it at a rapid pace. It says, but understand this. And now the reason why the Bible would ever tell you understand this is, is gonna be because there are people who lack understanding. So you, every word, do you, do, does this church believe that every word of the Bible is inspired by God? So don't skip one word, one letter, but understand this that in the last days, the, there will come times of difficulty. In your notes or in your Bible, you can circle the word difficulty. That word is translated in other translations as perilous. As a matter of fact, when you go back to the original language that was used in Second Timothy chapter three, the word perilous is akin to a wild animal. So it's just like if you try to domesticate a wolf, You'd say, I don't know if I can do that. Or have you ever seen people, they try to domesticate a lion, and you're like, man, this could be perilous. Right now, it's dormant. Right now, the, the lion is tame, but it can turn on you. It says, in the last days, times are gonna become perilous. It's gonna be like one day, New York City, you're taking a subway, and the next day, it's completely flooded, and you can't get in. It's like a wild animal. You never know when things are gonna change. One day, life is normal, and then all of a sudden, a global pandemic hits, and it's a lockdown, and you can't get toilet paper. It's like a wild animal that you thought you domesticated until it revealed its true nature. I've never heard anyone preach on that, but when you go back to the word study, it says in the last days, times are gonna become perilous. I believe that we're in these conditions. Verse two, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. How many of you know that it's not money is not the root of all evil, it's the love of money. Do you have money or does money have you? Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Can I just stop there and say that the disobedience extends into your spiritual parents as well? I I told you we were going there. Disobedient to parents includes your spiritual parents. It it includes the mother and the father of the house that you've covenanted and submitted your life to. And for those of you who are like, I can't be parented by Pastor Mike because he's younger than me, you would hate the kingdom because Josiah, he literally shepherded and led the entire nation of Israel as a child. So the kingdom has nothing to do with age. It has everything to do with the designation of the anointing and the mantle of God. So if you're 75 years old saying, he can't father me, you haven't read your Bible disobedient to parents is going to be a condition because they're going to say, I don't want to listen to you. I know better because I've Googled it. (laughs) Here's another one. Ungrateful. Do you know that it's possible to have better conditions in your life than 99.9% of people living on planet earth and still be ungrateful for it? Isn't that like, I have clothes to wear, but they're not new enough. I have a a car to drive, and 90% of human beings on the planet are not privileged enough to own a car, but we need a newer car, and we are ungrateful, and then when the church dare ask you to grow in generosity, you blame us for being prosperity gospel and say all we want is money, but you didn't say the same thing to the diner down the street that you spent $100 for a meal that already brought your high blood pressure even higher, Second Timothy chapter three says, in the last days, it's gonna be like that. Do you still love me? We're in the living room right now and we're having a family talk. Spurgeon said, there are sanguine brethren who are looking forward to everything growing better and better and better until at last this present age ripens into a millennium. They will not be able to sustain their hopes for scripture gives them no solid basis to rest upon. Apart from the second advent of our Lord, the world is more likely to sink into a pandemonium than it is to rise into a millennium. I love the fact that everybody who has the secular humanistic worldview thinks that if we just unite across religions, the Hindus and the Muslims and the agnostics and the atheists and the Christian, we're going to build this world into a better place. But Scripture does not promise that. Scripture actually says you'll know that the end of the age is drawing near because people are going to become lovers of self, lovers of money. No marketing that you do to unite religions is going to work. Come on, does somebody hear me? I'm preaching in the spirit. There's no... Amount of money that you can put towards a campaign that's going to make the earth better. As a matter of fact, what's going to happen is it's going to, just like Spurgeon said, it's going to turn into a pandemonium, not this sweet millennium that we want. And then the Antichrist is going to rise and be the only one who can do what no one else could accomplish. And there's going to be a falling away of many in a deception. I'm preaching you to the, the word today. Do you believe it? Let's give the definition of narcissism. Narcissism excessive interest in or admiration of oneself and one's physical appearance. In psychology, selfishness involving a sense of entitlement. (laughs) Man, I really need a grace from God for this sermon, y'all. I am confronting a spirit that is so big, it is so monstrous, but how many of you believe the bigger they are, the harder they fall under the anointing? A lack of empathy and a need for admiration a need for admiration, not it's great when they, they noticed. Did you know that most churches fall apart because the person who's serving, who's, they don't do it unto the Lord like I preached last week on purpose. They do it unto their own admiration. And if you don't acknowledge them, they'll leave. If you don't notice what they do, they'll leave because they never did it for the Lord. They did it for admiration. There's worship team members that you have to pay them out of tithe money week after week after week. You've got to put all their pictures out, their videos out, not here, but at other churches, because they never did it unto the Lord. They did it for admiration, to feed a wounded ego. There's preachers that no likes are never enough on social media. No shares are never enough because they did it for admiration. And this spirit is increasing in the earth. It's not decreasing. Psychology says it's involving a sense of entitlement, a lack of empathy, and a need for admiration, and it's characterized as a personality type when you truly develop it. I wanna read to you Romans chapter 12, verse three. The way that you fight a demonic mindset is with holy scripture. Do you believe that? When Jesus was confronted with Satan, did he fight him with church culture? Did he fight him with a worship song? I just gotta turn my worship song up, that's cool. But Jesus didn't fight like that. He fought with the sword of the spirit. And some of the songs that we're singing in this era are not even theologically sound anyways. And the devil's like, turn it up louder. Sounds just like what I told that worship leader when they believed it. Y'all aren't ready for me today, I don't care. I don't know if you guys can, can tell anymore, but I stopped caring about 10 weeks ago because I am, I, am, I am engaged. I believe that Ephesians is true and we are in a spiritual battle and whether or not you fight, I'm gonna fight this spiritual battle. Romans chapter 12, verse three says, for I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. This is what the Bible tells us. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Think soberly. Soberly is not... To be sober is not the, it's not the, let me get it out. To be sober-minded is not the absence of alcohol, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will tell you, stop acting like a fool. The Holy Spirit will get inside your psyche and start breaking down strongholds. And so, don't think, and some of you're like, "Pastor Mike, I have low self-esteem. I don't think highly of myself." Yes, but sometimes you you will worship at the altar of your own hurt feelings, and that becomes your idolatry. Because guess what? Okay, follow me y'all. If you walk through this church like this, you're still causing attention to come to you. If you ghost people and say, well, I don't even talk to anybody. I don't have any friends. I stop talking to them. Yeah, but you're ghosting them with still an attempt to get attention. I'm getting your business. Welcome to the living room, y'all. Now, pray for me because this is why at the end of this service, we may end up in deliverance because I believe there's a demonic component to this and I believe her name is Jezebel. And I'm going to speak into that because it has to be told, but I want to mine out the gold from the word. Are you ready? The last vicious act that's attributed to Jezebel is recorded in first Kings chapter 21. Okay. So if you have your Bibles, you can thumb over to first Kings chapter 21, five through 16. And what happens is Ahab adjacent to his palace is this vineyard which he coveted that vineyard. He, he saw it on a daily basis, and every time he saw it, his desire for it increased more. Guys, I'm preaching in layers, so I want you to think about what vineyard is adjacent to your palace. I want you to think about the thing that you've coveted more and more, the thing that you want more and more. And see, it belonged, this vineyard belonged to a commoner named Naboth. Everybody say Naboth. And he was from a place called Jezreel, which Jezreel is an ancient city at the foot of Mount Gilboa. And when Naboth refused to part with his vineyard, which was the inheritance of his father. It was actually promised to him. It was destined to him. And yes, he was a commoner, but he was a commoner with an uncommon possession of the vineyard. See, what happens is this is a picture of how the Lord graces our lives. We'll be so common, and yet we'll have something uncommon given by God. Mike is an uncommon person raised in poverty. Poverty. He's a common person raised in poverty, but I'll give him an uncommon gift to preach. He didn't earn it. He didn't strive for it. The Lord will release things. There's a grace gift that's released to us. And so Naboth represents all of us who are just normal people from normal families, and yet we are gifted with something uncommon, and it's a vineyard. But you have to protect your vineyard. Because narcissists will always desire to take something uncommon and make it common. Because see, the heart of Ahab was actually to make that vineyard into a vegetable garden. And you would think on the surface, what's wrong with vegetables? They're good for your health. They're sustenance to your body. But there's two problems with it in the context of this story. One is that land did not belong to Ahab. It belonged to Naboth. And number two, the Lord had promised that vineyard as a generational blessing upon his life. And so wherever you see narcissism, you see the killing of generational legacy. And see, the thing is, but I want to go a step further. Narcissism always requires agreement. I'm going to say it again. Narcissism always requires agreement. When you are in a church and you start puffing yourself up and you're being arrogant and you're telling everybody about how you could do it better and how Pastor Mike doesn't see it. and hey, listen, I haven't heard anything this week. I'm just, I've been in church for a long time. This is how all churches work. What happens is as that narcissism is activating inside of you, the people who listen to your narcissism have to make a choice. Do I become Elijah in this story or do I, or do I become Ahab and Jezebel? And it takes intestinal fortitude, it takes courage in your gut to tell even someone who's in leadership, the way you're talking is not in alignment with the word of God, and I sense narcissism and pride, and that's not what we're here to do. But that doesn't happen in too many churches, because the head leader's narcissistic, and so whenever there's a leader with narcissism like Jezebel, there will always be the prophets of Jezebel. The prophets of Baal were commissioned by Jezebel. As a matter of fact, Jezebel was able to convince uh, Ahab to worship Baal in the first place. So there was an agreement that happened that produced prophets that, that Elijah had to contend with. But how many of you know that there's still the spirit and a a mantle of Elijah alive in the earth to wreck the prophets of Baal and to set their face against pride and arrogance and say, we're gonna operate in humility in the servant's heart of Jesus Christ. And so you have this picture and I wanna read to you some different things and I'm gonna show you because this blew my mind. When I studied the psychology of narcissism and went back to this story in 1 Kings, the way that Jezebel operates is in total alignment with a modern day diagnosis of extreme narcissism to the point where it even locked in chronologically. So I wanna show you that. Number one, narcissists are extremely resistant to changing their behavior even when it's causing them problems. Even when it doesn't work for them, they will hold to the narcissism and not change their behaviors. Number two, their tendency is to turn the blame on others. In order for me to heal you from the wounds of narcissism you've encountered by other leaders, other pastors, other parents, I even have to wake some of you up to the reality that you suffered it because they prob- if they were a true narcissist, they probably, probably made you feel like it was your fault. A true narcissist will never take the blame. They'll always make you feel like you could have done better. You, could have, you are the one who created the conditions. What's more is that they're extremely sensitive and they react badly to even the slightest criticism, disagreement, or perceived slights, which they view as personal attacks. When you're trying to build a business or a team with a narcissist, you can't coach them because they're uncoachable, because they're convinced that what they're doing is the right and best way. And even if deep down inside they know that your coaching is right, they will shrink back and they will begin to get either defensive or they will become cold and they'll penalize you by being cold. And they'll say, don't you touch that. Don't you coach me. Don't you say anything that I don't agree with. I will remove my presence to make you uh, pay or I will increase my presence by stepping into your personal boundaries and saying very hurtful or mean things to you. Guys, I'm telling you, this is so necessary for a house because people are gonna want, I feel the presence of God so strongly on this message. People are gonna want the results that we get from the messages like this we preach, but they won't have the courage to preach them. For the people in the narcissist's life, it's it's often easier just to go along with the demands than to avoid the coldness or the rages. If you've been abused in a toxic marriage by a narcissist, you've gotten to the point where you said it's just easier to go along with it I don't want, you know, if you feel like you got a tiptoe around them, I don't want to set them off. I, I, I don't want this narcissist. I don't, I don't want this person to, to rage on me. I don't want to start an argument. Or if it's the other way around, it's like, oh man, but I crave their embrace. I don't want to feel like I'm abandoned again. So I want you to write this down for number one, because I'm going to give you the four ways to identify it. Number one is they live in a fantasy world that supports their delusion about self. Narcissists believe that they're special and that they they can only be understood by special people. This is true, what I'm telling you. a A true narcissist, someone who's prideful, they believe that they're special and only special people can understand them. So they'll say things in a conversation like, oh, you get me, and they'll demean their own wife. Oh, you get me, but my pastor doesn't. Or, oh, the other pastors who are celebrity pastors like me, they get me, but you peasants don't. That's the spirit of Jezebel operating through narcissism. Telling you. Okay, here's more. So that, that number one is they live in a fantasy. They just live in this, this fantasy. It's a delusion that they create about self. So they only wanna be associated with things that have high status, high status clothing, High-status people, high-status places, and high-status things. They only want to be associated with that because they feel like that's the only thing that they're worthy of spending their time with. So you won't see them in the streets. You won't see them with the poor and the needy and the orphan and the widow. You, don't, you won't see them in the hospital. You won't see them laying hands and praying for people. They're above that. But I say if you're above it, you're beyond it in the next season because the spirit of the Lord has set himself against the spirit of Je- Ahab and Jezebel in this season. High status. Now it doesn't mean you can't have nice things, but the question is, do they have you or do you have them? It doesn't, doesn't mean you can't have status. But is your status the result of lifting Jesus among high and making his name known in the earth? And people have drawn unto you to know him. Narcissists also believe that they're better than anyone else and they expect recognition as such. They, they don't want recognition of being on a team. They want recognition that they're better. Oh Lord, pour one out for my homies again. If you can't tell, I'm extremely nervous to preach this sermon because this is not normal to talk about, but it's never talked about and it's wrecked people's lives for a long time. Can I get an amen? Okay. Thank you, Pastor Kiel. Okay. So here's how a narcissist contributes. They contribute when you make them feel like they're very great and that they're the undisputed star of the team and everyone else is their best like pit player or their best side guy. Fantasies protect them from feelings of inner emptiness and shame. So facts and opinions that contradict them are ignored or rationalized away. Now I want you to get this picture because we're gonna move on. A narcissist's sense of superiority is like a balloon. And I want you to see the image of a balloon that gradually loses its air. Have you ever taken a balloon home and the next morning when you wake up, it's down on the floor because it's lost its air? So for a narcissist, they need a steady stream of applause and recognition to keep them inflated. And the occasional compliment's not enough. You can't occasionally compliment a narcissist. They need constant food for their ego, so they surround themselves with people who are willing to always give them this obsessive craving for attention. And those, the people that they surround themselves with will constantly tell them how great they are, how awesome they are, and this is it. So it's, these relationships are very one-sided, though. And, and, the, and here's the thing. Usually weaker people, people who are wounded, people who are struggling through things, they will connect themselves to a narcissist because they like the status that's associated with the narcissistic person. And so they, they, don't, they know they're not the number one, they know they're not the bee's knees, they know they're not the greatest, but they connect themselves to the person who has the delusion that they are because they like feeling the status of being connected. I'm gonna show you that in 1 Kings chapter 21. Let's read the word together. I wanna show you this all in scripture so you can see a type and a shadow and a pattern that, that repeats itself in culture that has demonic implications as well as mental and psychological because you have to renew your mind so that your mind can get free, but sometimes you have to break the power of a demonic spirit. 1 Kings chapter 21, verse five. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him so now she's saying, well, I know that the vineyard belongs to Naboth, and I know that you want to turn it into a vegetable garden, but, I, but I'm going to step in and make this happen because we're entitled, because we can have whatever we want, because Naboth is a commoner. We don't affiliate with people like that. We're, we're in rulership. We're the big dog. So guess what we're going to do? We're going to go down get it And she says, because she tells her husband, why, why are you so vexed that you can't eat food? And he said to her, because I spoke to Naboth and he wouldn't give me my vineyard. They didn't schedule me. They didn't post my picture. They didn't share it. They didn't comment. They didn't amen. This is what you see. This is because I spoke with him and said, give me your vineyard for money or else if it please you, I will give you another one for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife said to him, do you now govern Israel? So Jezebel's flaring him up. You see this partnership. I can't believe they didn't schedule you. I can't believe they didn't acknowledge your greatness. I can't believe they didn't make a special seat for you. Did they know whose car they didn't park in the parking lot? Do you see Ahab and Jezebel, how the cooperation works? It always requires agreement. You know how I know that? Because that's how you access power in the kingdom is the power of agreement functions in the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of hell. When you come into agreement that Christ is Messiah, you access the power of the kingdom. When you come into agreement with Jezebel that she's the greatest, you access a demonic horde that you're gonna have to deal with for the rest of your life. And if it pleases you, I'll give you another vineyard. And he said, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said, don't you lead? And watch this, arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So number two, write this down. We're almost done with the four things. Number two, they have a sense of entitlement because they consider themselves special. Narcissists expect favorable treatment as their due. They truly believe that whatever they want, they should get it. They also expect the people around them to automatically comply with every wish and every whim. That is their only value. And if you don't anticipate and meet their every need, to them, you're useless. You're useless to them. And if you have the nerve to defy their will or to ask for something in return, like let's reciprocate this, prepare yourself for extreme outrage or a cold shoulder. Heaven forbid you say, I'll build your platform, you build mine. No, 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 I just want all of your platform. I don't want to help you build yours. Heaven forbid that they reciprocate. Heaven forbid they take the, when you're in a a, a relationship, heaven forbid you ask your wife what her dreams are. Heaven forbid you ask, ask your wife what her goals are. Heaven forbid you ask your husband what his desire is because there's something that says, do not, do not, do not, access there because you you are accessing your own desires and that is narcissistic tendencies that's prideful tendencies even if it's not a disorder it's a disease in your mind okay so let me just take a step further in verse 8 so follow along with me so she wrote letters in Ahab's name do you see how I have it underlined and sealed them with his seal Jezebel will always have counterfeit authority in the lives of those that they're leading. There's kingdom authority and then there's counterfeit authority. And see, this is a rich word because she did Ahab's job for him, but in doing that disqualified herself. And there's times where you make that decision to write the letters, to take it on yourself, to do it yourself, and you accidentally disqualify yourself. And she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who live with Naboth in the city, and she wrote in the letters, proclaim a fast, and set Naboth at the head of the people, and set two worthless men opposite of him. See the language? And let them bring a charge against him, saying, You have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. And the men of the city, the elders and the leaders who lived in the city did as Jezebel had sent word to them. Now, watch this. Okay, please, y'all, please hear me. Let me read that description again. Who was it that did as Jezebel said? It was men of the city, the elders, and the leaders who lived in the city. So Jezebel had the ability to even manipulate and deceive high-level thinkers and leaders. And one of those elders could have had the Spirit of God in operation and said, I discern that something's wrong. Did this come from Ahab? Did this come from the king? No, nobody had the discernment because the king was compromised. And where the king is compromised, everybody else else has to live in the disorder and the chaos of Jezebel. And not one person was able to expose it. There are times in a business, in a family, in a church, where not one leader can expose it because they're all living under the chaos and disorder of Jezebel. Not one of them. And then it says, they proclaim a fast, so they went through with this plan. And two worthless men came and sat opposite of him. And the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him aside outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. And then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned, and he's dead. So they carried out this innocent man's execution. They ended this multi-generational legacy of the vineyard, and a transaction happens, which is point number three for your notes. A narcissist will exploit others without guilt or shame. Your pastor that exploited you doesn't feel bad about what he did or she did. Your parent that used you or exploited you, they don't feel guilt or shame if they struggle with narcissism, if they're bound by this spirit. the Spirit. The, the husband, the wife, they're not thinking about it that way. They're not processed. They, matter of fact, they don't think about you at all. They think about themselves. That's the point. Narcissists never develop the ability to identify with the feelings of others. One of the ways that I knew the Holy Spirit was changing my heart is I started crying all the time because he was helping me understand other people. Why do you think thousands of people watch our services because they're feeling the empathy of the Holy Spirit who says, I know all of your affirmities, all of your afflictions. The heart of Jesus Christ beating in my chest says, "We've Jesus said, I suffered in all the ways that you'll ever suffer, so I know your pain. And so when the Holy Spirit's inside of you, you may not have gone through what they went through, but the Holy Spirit says, Jesus did. And Jesus is empathizing, and he's opening up a window into their pain, and you're you're able to speak into the epicenter of some filthy, filthy venom that's in their heart because you understand. And that's one of the ways you know the Holy Spirit's at work in you is because he gives you a window or a picture into somebody else. Loneliness is the penalty for selfishness. Loneliness is the penalty for either not giving or giving to the wrong person for too long. I'm going deep today. Loneliness is a penalty because if you're lonely and you say nobody understands, could that be pride? Could, could Jesus be standing right next to you in the worship service and you're saying, nobody understands me, and he's screaming out emphatically, I suffered in every way to earn the right to say, I understand. And so loneliness is the consequence it's the consequence that we suffer of, for pride. Because when we lower our pride, we say, maybe they don't understand, but I know one who does. They exploit others without guilt or shame. And I remember the first time I started getting free from narcissistic tendencies when I asked myself the question, what kind of life does Julie want? What, kind of, what does she have in her heart? What's the Lord called my wife to do? When I look at you as congregation members, I'm not imposing on you my own narcissistic agenda. This house has been established on to help you discover, help you develop your gifting and then deploy into the plan of God for your life. But you know where that came from? Some brokenness in prayer where the Lord punished me with, he, he took that disciplinary rod and beat me into submission and said, son, I'm gonna make you great when you kill your own false greatness. When you learn how to care for them more than you care for yourself, you'll start becoming more like me. And that's not something that white evangelical mega church Christianity can produce. Only the cross on that, that hill called Calvary can produce the kind of brokenness that says to, lo- to, to lose your life is to gain it. I don't have any other agenda, but your plans and your purposes for your life. And you know when you're being exploited. You know when somebody wants to be the center of attention, but I dare you to put Jesus at that center. I dare you to put your leader at that center. God's representative of his leadership on earth is humans. And if you can't bring people to a pastor, then you don't understand Jesus representing his leader, which was God the Father. Jesus said, I don't do my will, I'm pointing you to another. And so you have churches where all these little empires get built because they can't point to another human representative of God's delegated authority. But Jesus did it. He says, you're not watching me do my own plan. You're watching me do the will of my Father. And so being able to point up is something we learn from the leadership of Jesus. And if you distort that and pervert it, you'll make a cult. But if you get in alignment with with the true way of doing it, you'll create the kingdom. I am gonna break through this wall in the next three minutes. I feel so much demonic attack on this word. Verse 15: as soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned, this man was killed. His legacy was taken away. He was a common man with an uncommon blessing, he was the hero to all his friends. They said, look at Naboth. He has a vineyard. God can bless us even on this level of society. He represented a living, breathing testimony. And you know, pharisaical, prideful, narcissistic people always want to take out living testimonies. Did you know that they didn't want to just kill Jesus? They wanted to kill Lazarus too? Have you read your Bible? Why'd they want to kill Lazarus? Because they want to snuff out anything that bears witness to the wondrous working power of Jesus. So sometimes when you get resistance in your family, when you get resistance in your church, when you get resistance in your business, it's because you're a living, breathing testimony of what he can do. So it says, this is what Jezebel said to Ahab, arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite which he refused to give you for money for Naboth is not alive but dead. You hear the stone cold language. No concern with his family. No concern with, with, his, with the feelings of the people who will mourn his death. She's only concerned with material possessions and, and it's so demonic, so demonic. I don't love this equipment more than I love Christina. I don't love my house more than I love the kids that make it dirty. And when you love a dish more than you love the one washing it, you don't have the heart of the father. And narcissists have made kids feel bad for being kids. And you're living in a museum that you're calling your home, and you got, well, I had an Italian grandma with the plastic on the couch. I don't... But there's a problem when your whole life is covered in plastic. There's a problem when nothing's obtainable, nothing's touchable. Some of you needed a hug so bad. But the pride of your parents wouldn't even let let them hug you. Because they said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. That's abusive parenting. They had their own feelings. Look what you did to me. Look what you did to my life. Why do you always have to make me feel this way? That's how narcissists talk. Because they're always so self-obsessed with their own emotions and their own feelings. What if you needed to cry? What if you needed an embrace? What if you needed somebody to look out for you? It's a dog-eat-dog world, but no ship ever sinks because of the water around it. It sinks because of the water that gets inside of it. My kids aren't going to walk away from the things of God because we live in Queens. It's going to be because the spirit of the world got into my home. And the spirit of Ahab and Jezebel Sounds like gurus trying to tell you how to live your best life now and how to swipe up for the 10 different things you can do to be successful. But we don't need gurus. We need mothers and fathers that won't take a vineyard from Naboth, that won't steal what's not theirs, but will actually guard and protect the blessing and the provision of God and will have enough discernment to call out Jezebel when she's running her mouth. And if she runs her mouth through city officials, if she runs her mouth through leaders in the church we can silence every tongue that's where that scripture no weapon formed against you comes from it was spiritual warfare it said no weapon formed against you shall prosper but the second part of that verse says every tongue that rises against you I will silence it says the Lord and the Lord's getting ready to silence Jezebel in this season the last one I want to tell you and this is the fourth one will you stand to your feet Jezebel frequently demeans, intimidates, bullies, and belittles other people. Do you hear me? Jezebel frequently demeans, intimidates, bullies, or belittles other people. You're stupid. Why are you so stupid? Why can't you get it? Oh, yeah, so and so stupid. They're dumb. Oh yeah, they don't understand. They don't get business. They don't get church. They don't know what they're doing. Slanderer, condemner, belittler. And he begin to do this. Narcissists feel threatened whenever they encounter someone who appears to have something that they lack. Do you want to know the truth? This is how crazy narcissism works. Ahab the king is on the palace roof. He's looking adjacent to his palace and he sees a vineyard. And just a common man has something. But Ahab was so broken in his masculinity, he's so broken in his identity that he feels threatened that other people in the nation of Israel will like Naboth because he has that vineyard. That's how twisted it is. If you think that money and fame and power and success will stop a narcissist, it will only make it worse. The more... Ahab rose into prominence the more his insecurities grew. You think me handing this microphone to you will make you feel fulfilled? Do you think that me changing the name of my accounts to your accounts is going to make you feel like like you're doing something? No. If you do not deal with the issues of your mind and your emotions, you will not be able to sustain the very thing that God has for you. And I believe that vegetable gardens for vineyards is exchanging greatness for just being good because you never healed your soul God wants to heal your soul narcissists are threatened by people who don't bow to them or who challenge them in any way do you want to know how you know what a preacher and a pastor is really like it's not how they treat you when you join their church it's how they treat you when you leave And I'm sorry. I want to say this. I feel something breaking. I'm sorry that you were treated so badly when you left. That's not the heart of God. We say we're kingdom until people don't mean that being our church. We say we're about the kingdom, but we wouldn't be happy if someone went to the church down the street and stayed there faithfully for the rest of their life. But the true measure of a pastor is how they treat you when when they leave. The true measure of the church people. We've got teams that we assign to hold a sign that says welcome. Maybe we should have dream team members that signs and say let's go out for coffee even if you stop going to this church because we still love you. That's the heart of Jesus. That's who we are. Narcissist attack with insults, with name calling, with bullying, with threats, 1 Kings chapter 19, I want you to hear this last thing, and then we're gonna pray. Ahab told his wife Jezebel what Elijah had done and that he had killed the prophet. So this is rewinding the story back to the 19th chapter. And so when Ahab told his wife Jezebel, can you believe this prophet? He must have heard Pastor Mike's sermon. (laughs) I'm just kidding. He was equipped. Elijah saw it. He saw it clearly. He wasn't fooled. He wasn't faked out. All of a sudden he says... She, he tells that story to his wife, and she sent a message to Elijah saying, you killed my prophets, now I'm going to kill you. I pray that the gods will punish me even more severely if I don't do it by this time tomorrow. Now watch. Elijah, the man who will eventually be taken up in a whirlwind of fire, it says this in verse 3, Elijah was afraid when he got her message. This is how powerful narcissism and pride is. You have city officials, the men and the elders of Israel, intelligent leaders and rulers, all duped by her forging letters. Then you have even the prophet Elijah, who has enough discernment to see it, is so overwhelmed by and so intimidated by this narcissism and pride. It says Elijah was afraid when he got our message. He had just killed hundreds of false prophets before this. So I wanna say to all of you, I've seen many mighty men of God end up in narcissistic church cultures because they felt the fear and maybe they were too ashamed to admit it. I've seen prophetic people say, I I can't believe I missed it. I've I've seen people in, in business, I've seen people in different areas of life saying, I can't believe, or I married this man and I promise he wasn't like this when we were dating. Because a narcissist will bring you in with compliments and then destroy you with criticisms. They'll bait their hook and they'll reel you in by making you feel like the greatest thing alive, and then they'll crush you with criticism. I think some of you, and I've been feeling burdened to say this the whole time, and we're gonna pray. I think some of you have been so wounded that you don't know how to be treated the right way, and you want me and other leaders, sometimes of this church, to repeat the type of treatment you receive because it's become familiar for you to be in bondage. Why doesn't the pastor take me out to dinner? Well, your last pastor did that to manipulate you, and I'm sorry to tell you that he didn't care about you. I do, but I care about you in such a way that I won't become codependent with you. I know this isn't being said, But sometimes when I'm not codependent, people think I don't care about them because they were so used and so manipulated by other leaders that they expect me to repeat the treatment. And I'm saying this in love because this church is a move of God and I'm telling you prophetically from this stage and we can rewind this tape and save this moment because this fall, there's about to be a national revival in America. It's ripening now, do you feel it? This is part one of a two-part journey. Who's going to come to part two next week? Who watching online is going to tune in? Okay, so sometimes women will tell me, oh, I say, well, what about this person? Aren't you attracted to them? Oh, I don't like them. And really, they've been so abused by narcissistic men that it's infiltrated them on a subconscious level and even affected what they're attracted to. And I've seen women come through healing processes and then find men attractive that they didn't previously think were attractive because God healed them on the unconscious and conscious levels. And then they were married in no time because sometimes even what you go to look for is a repeat of the same prison that God unlocked you from. And people will go from church to church and they're just changing abusive experience for abusive experience because it's a familiar thing to them. You know, I was raised poor and I'll be honest with you, there's a familiarity to poverty that's comfortable. The neighborhoods. I remember that I used to sweat profusely and get nervous when I was in environments that I felt like were nicer than the ones that I lived in. I didn't know how to interact with people that were in upper classes of, of, of the social classes because there was a familiarity to the culture of the poor. And so I couldn't even access other realms of life because I had been so belittled and beat down that it was like, at least I know how to do this life, even if it's abusive. Am I being too real? Am I being too real? I hate Jezebel. I hate Ahab. I hate that spirit that will take a good man of God like Naboth and take his vineyard. Take his vineyard. Your family's your vineyard. Your family's your vineyard. Your ministry's your vineyard. Your business is your vineyard. That's your legacy. Come on, that's gonna be handed down to your family and this narcissistic spirit has subdued many of us. So I want everybody to lift their hands right now because we're gonna go through a moment of just breaking this thing off of our life. We've got a few more moments before service change is over. I want everybody, we're just gonna go through a time where we're gonna start with us, but then we're gonna break these curses off of ourselves. Is anybody here ready to get free? Is anybody here ready to get free? Everybody just share this prayer with me. Just say these words. Father, I humble myself. Forgive me for pride. Forgive me for narcissism. Father, I accept your healing. In the areas I'm wounded, in the areas I need confidence, in the areas that I've struggled Heal that place now. Break every chain off of me. I renounce Ahab and Jezebel. I break and release myself from every curse, from that demonic system. Manipulation, that curse is broken. Domination, that curse is broken. Control, That curse is broken. I am free from ungodly soul ties of past leaders, of past pastors. Ungodly soul ties. I sever them in the spirit now. I am free. I am free in Jesus' name. Come on, celebrate your freedom with me. Celebrate your freedom with me, church.